0: And I'm Tabitha, and you are listening to Educators Who Dare to Lead. Stay tuned. So I've got a wild intro for us today, Tabitha. You know that part in Back to the Future, which is now on Netflix at the time of recording for this, so I was super excited to introduce that to my kids, and they did not care. But yeah. in Back to the Future. <laughs> Thought it was so amazing. And it's like, like it's 2015 and it's 2020. And they're like, where's my hoverboard? Yeah. So there's this part in Back to the Future where the Mighty Ducks are gonna lose the championship. And then Dory is just like, you know, just keep on swimming, just keep swimming. And we know if they just believed in themselves, they could click those ruby red slippers and finally kiss the frog and they'd get their own restaurant. You remember that part?
1: Okay. I'm um, a little lost. Are we, are we taking every single movie and <laughs> <Yes>. combining it? <laughs> Pretty much. That's what we're doing because I
0: really love thinking about all of the media that we have as literature, TV shows, movies, mm-hmm. books, novels, poetry, as all of this is being literary text. And these stories tell us about our culture in really interesting, nuanced ways. And most of the movies and the literature and the stories that our students are analyzing and experiencing give some kind of variation of the ending of believe in yourself and it will just all click together. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Why do you think I'm making this point in relation to our chapter, which is part four learning to rise?
1: Because there's more to it than just believing in yourself. There are actual skills that you need to learn and practice in order to be successful. Right? Is that? Are we on the same wavelength?
0: Yeah, that's where I was going with that. So I'm glad we're on okay, the same wavelength. <laughs> you know <what> I mean, <laughs> my guess
1: is that I wonder.
0: So do we have any stories that we're teaching to our students, to our children, or even in the stories that we're enjoying ourselves, do we have narratives where people are learning to rise?
1: What I'm thinking of is something that we have mentioned time and time again, even on this podcast, is just the whole idea of growth mindset and instilling that in our students, making sure that they've got a safe place to make mistakes and teachers model making mistakes and showing them that this is how you learn and this is how you grow, not by getting everything right the first time, but by getting it wrong and then reflecting on that and and moving forward. So I think there is hopefully a push for that type of thing in our classrooms today. But I, see, I think that there's still room for growth in that.
0: Yeah, I agree. So if you are writing some children's literature out there, maybe putting some of the ideas in Brené Brown's ideas in Dare to Lead would be an interesting, uh, as they say, white space, which just means that there's a gap that that's not out there that much. I have seen it with not exactly, but with some of Eve Bunting's literature, I have seen um, Kevin Hinkey's has some of that where people have to really listen and adapt and, and figure out how to do things differently. So I think there is some continued space for this, but you guys, we've just got to buckle in because learning to rise is so much more than just believing in yourself and it is getting real. So let's go.
1: Well, hello out there. Thank you for joining us on Educators Who Dare to Lead. And remember, Elizabeth, one time when I I introduced the show and I just said educators who lead and you're like, wait a second, <laughs> you said the wrong thing. And I'm like, no, I didn't. <laughs> well, when I went back and listened, I did say it incorrectly. So I'm owning my mistake. I'm owning it. Um, educators who dare to lead. That's who we are. I'm Tabitha. And I'm Elizabeth. And today we're diving into part four kind of sadly, like happily because we love this section, Mm -hmm. but also sadly because it's the last one, Um, Brene Brown's book, Dare to Lead, and this part is entitled Learning to Rise. So whether or not you've read this section yet, we hope that our conversation inspires you just to reflect on how these behaviors relate to careers in education. Um, So this is it. This no page, page numbers. Yes. No page numbers. <laughs> well, I can. I have the book next to me, so I can give you a page number. Pa- uh, part four starts on one eighty-five. Am I right? Living. No, no, I don't have. <laughs> I just opened to a random page, and I'm like, this is probably it. <laughs> you were, you were, uh,
0: you were signaling the mighty ducks, where they just automatically win, even though everything <laughs> is against them, and they're gonna. Also, I feel like. What about the team that worked their butt off all year? And like, what about their hopes and dreams? Anyway, what page oh, number is it
1: on? For real, it's on page 241 in the hardcover book.
0: Okay, fine. I will go. If you're in the Kindle version, you are, you can go to the table of contents or you can go to about 81% of the book. So just about a 20% read. And it's about, oh, I don't remember. I feel like it was an hour and a half listen in the audio
1: So this section is all about learning to rise, aptly named Um, the process of rising has three parts. So Brene goes into the reckoning, the rumble and the revolution, and she says, and I quote, my goal for this part is to give you the language tools and skills that make up the essentials of this process. So you can immediately start putting this work into practice, which I love because we can read and discuss theory and ideas all day long, and that's enjoyable, but when it comes down to it, how are you going to actually put it into practice in your daily life? So this is, this is great. I wanted to say, and I stopped myself, I wanted to say this is the meat and potatoes, but... <laughs> Like, like this is it this is the heartiness of the meal <laughs> like we're done with the appetizer we are on to the main course or maybe this is the dessert I'm all not sure.
0: the vegetarians out there in the oh no like, oh my gosh please stop <laughs> this so, is the to- the tofu and potatoes the tofu and potatoes I personally sometimes I just want a big bowl of broccoli with a little bit of Butter and salt and I'm good, that's my dinner, so <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> but in some ways, the vegetables have the most nutrition, and they should be the big hearty part of oh your, they should. You know.
1: so I think that I think that analogy or the description is is kind of outdated for sure. but oh,
0: it makes yeah yeah so this to me is. I almost would say, if you want to be a successful student or educator, this is the most important part. And then I feel like I have said that for multiple pieces, but this skill is something that I have grown in myself and I just have, have, have had in my life as well. And I think it is this essential piece. You know when people are like, well, so and so did, you know, X Y and Z even though they had all of these obstacles before them. So it should be that simple for you. And it's like, dude, it's never that simple. Or raw, as they say in in the, the as the kids say now. It's never that simple. And I think the difference is learning to rise. That the people that can rise from adversity and that is a whole Pandora's box of a word because there, not everybody can arise from adversity and adversity yeah. could be like, Oh, I had to pull my low grades up to some really systemic racial or cultural, or I, I can't even get into it because I'll start getting upset, but so many different issues. So please yeah. do not take this as a grit thing. Meaning that, oh, if I, if my students just learn to rise, they can overcome all of these obstacles because you have to always assume that there are things that are none of your business and they're not going to tell you the same thing for, you know, the teachers and the principals and everybody else that you're working for. I am thinking about some of our superintendents and the immense criticism they must be getting right now. And then also like the immense difficulty I'm having not being critical. (laughs) Mm-hmm. because of all of the um, decisions that they're having to make when we're recording this in August of 2020 um, the the masks are an issue going back to school is and it like all these decisions and no matter what you do it's going to be wrong so learning how to rise through all that is going to be essential from the student all the way up to the superintendent all the way up um, through the governing agencies that are making some of these decisions but do not, please, make the same mistake that sometimes we make with grit, saying it's a magic mm-hmm. bullet, it'll fix everything, all of those other things don't matter because they absolutely do.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the things that I noticed about this part is that she titled it Learning to Rise. She didn't title oh. it Rising, you know? And I so, I, yeah, I think that that, which I, I don't know if I s- said Rising earlier, if I did scratch that. Um, and go back to learning to rise because that's what this part is much more about is the learning process and more so than how high you're going to rise because as you are learning these different skills, like every, every increment of growth is still growth. Every step is progress, and that I think is what we need to focus on um, instead of instead of like what is the end goal? Well, the end goal is to have risen above all of our adversity. No, oh, the end yeah. goal is to continue learning and processing and dealing with your own emotions and your own circumstances, and ultimately, I think being able to find joy, which she talks about at the very end. I have Mm -hmm. two things.
0: Number one, as I was reading this, I was thinking about some of my earlier statements where in our earlier episodes, I would say as a coach, I really wanted my teachers to be able to take risks and to know and expect, okay, you're going to have learning disasters. It's okay. That's how you're going to learn what works and what doesn't. You can't think of everything. And by taking the risk and doing the thing, that's how you're going to know what you need to figure out. It's in pretty much edu- every um, instructional design process. It's in project management processes where at some point you've got to let the thing run after you do the planning and then you reflect back on what worked and what didn't and then you make adjustments. I completely forgot about this piece where she says before we can expect people to take risks, we have to teach them how to rise. Mm-hmm. And I would like to go back in time, (laughs) be a better coach, and have maybe worked with some of my teachers a little bit on rising skills like maybe trying something small, or maybe I didn't have access at the time, but maybe sharing them something that I have done and they can like help me. I don't know exactly where I would have gone, but at least like I will offer you this if I was your coach and you felt that same way as <laughs> you were reading this. I, I, um, I thank you for your patience with my own process with that. So that was one, is that we can't expect people to take risks, including students, including teachers, including principals, if we don't have the support for learning to rise. And actually teaching them how to fall, like the parachute example, is, is super important. The other piece is we often look at mistakes as shame-producing moments and we live in that shame. <clears throat> and it was interesting. I think I talked about earlier in an episode that moment where I gave the presentation and my printer ran out of paper and all that stuff. So it came up as my Facebook memory because I was tagged in the post just a couple of days ago. And mm-hmm. it's this picture, and it's like, I don't remember the shame from that. I remember my manager at the time using the rumble skills and helping me rise and to me that's one of my favorite memories because with the mistake I have completely added a whole new value skill set to to the work that I do so a lot of times if you're a teacher trainer or a coach or something like that you're presenting at PDs and I was a little bit out of experience so I used that experience to say, Oh, this is a big deal. I need to fix this and I need to work on it. And I joined Toastmasters and I got day like weekly uh-huh. rumblings. That's when I joined literally.
1: That was- is your start of Toastmasters. I
0: didn't make that connection before. Yeah. That's cool. That's exactly. So I, it was like a month that happened in like August and I joined in October. So I was like, I was trying to like do webinars or just ask people and another coach did it in a different state. And I found my local one, it was at my favorite coffee shop, but that particular group is not very competitive. Some of them are, but this one is definitely, um, growth mindset, very like kind and clear and compassionate. They will give you feedback, but it's not, I don't, I don't want to compete with anybody. That's not why I'm here. Mm -hmm. So this is the learning to rise when, when we have something that's a big oops and you're going to have them. That you know that you have the skills inside you to figure out, okay, I, I know something now and I need to figure out what to do about it. And oh, look, here are some resources. Here are some people that can help me through this. And those to me are a gift because that incident is often what gets cited quite a bit as to you know, why people will want me to do X and Y or Z it's either the presentation skills that I've learned, which is not even the big, the big lesson of the story. It's that, Oh, when we gave her this feedback, she took it and ran with Mm -hmm. it and like did this whole other thing. And you have to be really mindful about what you're investing in. I wasn't investing in the shame. I was like, Oh, this is a big deal into my job. Now I'm going to invest the time because it's worthy for me, it it's not my worthiness. What was the most impactful quote from the section for you, Tabitha?
1: Okay, I well, I have a ton of them, but I want to start off by a with a quote that's not impactful, but it just like made me laugh out loud when Renee is talking about the hand foldover debacle, which is definitely <laughs> worth reading if you haven't read the section yet. Please go back and read it. It's it's always fun to me, I think to. Oh my- she been in to, my kitchen.
0: I mean, yeah, <laughs> like to read about, like,
1: yeah, those those personal stories um, are always helpful. I think in making applications, but I love it when she talks about how she had all these plans for her year at, that she thought were going to magically just work out.
0: Yeah, and my and secret then, weapon was Pilates.
1: <laughs> <Everyone's> yeah, <fascinated. laughs> and oh. she she's like, this will be easy peasy lemon squeezy and then she says it turned out to be difficult difficult lemon difficult (laughs) and I just (laughs) uh, I literally laughed out loud when I read that because that is a phrase that I have used before I know even with my students easy peasy lemon squeezy can I speak for just a second how many times have
0: we seen that in a classroom where a teacher says that and then does all the work and then the students it'd be like long division see it's easy peasy love it, squeezy. Mm-hmm. and squeezy all the steps so i'm like okay everybody you know here's my number what number am i going to drop down and then they're like four she's like yeah four and then she does the next step and it's what's four times eight and they're like 32 yeah 32 see easy peasy lemon squeezy you know this and then they do it on their own and they're probably yeah. like Difficult. 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 Lemon, difficult. Lemon, difficult. Yes. Yeah. They've got to
1: do more. Sure. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that was just kind I have of been um, guilty, of course. Yeah, that was my fun, my fun quote from this section. But as far as impactful, this kind of I mean, this is building directly on what we already have jumped into talking about. So far, but she says right off the bat. We can't expect people to be brave and risk failure if they're not prepped for hard landings. So we need to like you were talking about Elizabeth. We need to teach people how to get up before they are down. We need to teach them those rising skills. And it's so much easier if you're doing that ahead of time than in the moment. So that's why we do things like fire drills and and things so that you teach the skills and the, the things that people need to know in case of emergencies before the emergency actually happens and that's what we need to do with failure and mistakes as well i don't know if you know this about me elizabeth but i love like super old classic movies you do Yeah. So I was on a kick like in high school and college. Um, Absolutely love Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. They're my favorite. I've probably seen every movie that they've done together and know all of the songs. Yeah. They're amazing. Do you ever, have you ever seen any of those movies?
0: I have not, but I love that same kind of genre of music. I love Ella Mm -hmm. Fitzgerald and I love Billie Holiday and some song came off on i don't remember how it came on. it was like a commercial i don't remember what it was, and I was like singing all the lyrics, and my husband
1: was looking
0: at me like like, "How do you, know you? Yes. <laughs>
1: do you know this Yes, and why do you know this? Yes,
0: and I just oh it oh my God, what do you love most about it?
1: Oh my goodness, um well, number one, that dancing, I feel like in another life. I must have been a tap dancer. If I could do anything, I would want to learn to tap dance. And I still know that I have room and space in my life to do that. Eventually I will get to it. I promise myself I will. Um, just, I love watching their feet move around and clickety clack. Um, and I I don't know. I just think it's, it's fun. It's like every, problems that they have just gets resolved really easily you always are minute. assured of a happy ending and what is that numbing
0: <laughs> or is, that yeah. like, is that good self-care what is that oh I don't know it brings you joy I think it's yeah a, it you back to it's, it's just you. yeah
1: yeah I don't think it's so much necessarily escape is just like oh that was cute I don't know that anyway it's fun. It's fun. And I say all of that to say that this section reminded me of one of the songs that Ginger Rogers sings. I can't remember which movie it's from, but I used to sing this to my kids, even when they were a little bitty and they were learning to walk and it's, oh my goodness. I should, I'll say it. I'll oh, sing it.
0: I would prefer that you sing it, but it's
1: fine. All right. All right. Don't lose your confidence if you slip, be grateful for a pleasant trip and pick yourself up, dust yourself off, start all over again. So it's just that idea of picking yourself up, dusting yourself off, starting all over again and like Just because you slip or you fall down doesn't mean you have to lose your confidence. You can be grateful for that experience like you were talking about with the feedback that you got in that situation, and you can just take all of that and use it as an opportunity to learn and grow and keep on being yourself.
0: Yeah, I love that. And also, I I had to leave a Facebook group that I had really loved for a couple of years, because they were making no room for rumbling. They were just writing people off. So it was just where they thought that people should have responded this way and they didn't respond that way. And I think this this is my favorite quote, is when we have the courage to walk in our story and own it, we get to write the ending. And when we don't own our stories of failures, setbacks and hurt, they own us. I have in my entire life amassed. I don't know why I said entire life. Obviously life is the entirety (laughs) of it. Amassed an incredible amount of stupid things said, perspectives that were not accurate and you know, some shame producing moments that I now am moving into, to guilt over. We all have, that's that's it. That's life. Like you're going to make some terrible mistakes and you own up to it. You have the rumbling. And if you don't allow the same for other people, I don't, I don't get that. I really don't get that. So I think if you're going to do this, you do it for yourself and you do it for other people, but you can set boundaries. Absolutely. You can say what, what this person did to me is not something that I can allow them to have the same access into my life and draw a new boundary. Yes. In my mind, that's how I'm reading all of this, but we own our stories. We own the mistakes. We own the failures. And that's, that's all part of it. I I do think that most of the best lessons I've ever learned and the the most that I've ever increased in either emotional intelligence or skills or any kind of success that I've experienced personal or business, et cetera, has been from rising from some kind of failure or setback. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely. I agree with that. So I would also like to talk about what she defines as the reckoning. The reckoning is as simple as that, knowing that we're emotionally hooked and then getting curious about it. And this is so important, I think, in the the social emotional learning aspect of the classroom, which I think we've talked about in previous episodes, but helping your students to identify and to name their feelings and to be okay with them. With feeling with You feel what you feel, and that's okay. What we need to encourage students to do is to think through why am I feeling this way and figure out how to ask themselves questions about their feelings instead of just having a feeling and then just reacting physically to that feeling with yelling or um, name-calling or throwing chairs, which I know if you are a teacher, you may have been in an experience like that of actual physical altercations with students in your classroom, Um, but helping them to be respectful of the feelings and the emotions that are going on inside of them and helping them to get curious about it instead of just simply have a reaction to it.
0: Mm. I think that is again where we go into child psychology area and behavioral specialist area so we don't have the expertise we can see as being um, I think we call it gen ed teacher is usually what I have heard it called that we can see the connection here we can see our children hurting and we can be curious about these things and it, it seems like these are also consistent with what I have seen as strategies that I've heard from our school psychologists or from the behavioral specialists is giving them a space to cool to cool down. That has been an IEP accommodation for some of my um, students who needed that. And it's interesting as people are moving to online, how some of that is changing because this is their their way now. And I'm wondering if. That might be I even like question, as I'm saying this, it's hard for me to say it without stopping myself. but that may be an op a choice or an option for some students to have some online days because the off or the the in school in person days could be so overwhelming. But that would be, I think, a very strategic plan around the students' needs, obviously. Again, I have a lack of knowledge, but I'm thinking of some of my students who made some wrong calls. They didn't have an IEP, but they made some wrong calls and then were expelled and sent to the alternative school. And I'm wondering if they had a choice between the alternative school or the online school, how that would have impacted their access to education and their just overall recovery of learning to rise from that issue it was something that was like a zero policy zero tolerance issue it wasn't an act of violence it was something else just really curious about how online options might impact this learning to rise thing but also how do how do we teach it so near the end she is talking about the joy and meaning and as soon as i read that it was just struck if you ever Look at any kind of teacher reward week or not reward week recognition week or anything like that. It's almost always centered around the joy and the meaning. But if you're evaluating a teacher, none of that really seems to be on there in some states, it'll be on on um classroom environment or classroom mm-hmm. culture, but when we're like talking about, oh, we could teach this stuff, well what standard does that fall under? yeah and I'm not, I'm not being like sarcastic and I'm not literally asking the question. It's somewhere in between those two spaces of if we expect teachers to be able to teach students to rise so they can be more brave in turning in really courageous and creative work. Cause we've talked a number of times about how those higher level DOK and Blooms and solo, whatever you're using, skills require a lot of vulnerability, and what if they turn it in, and they, they're being so creative, they've missed the mark, which happens a lot, especially with our students that are naturally creative, they give you something, and you're like, oh, this is amazing, and they spent so much time, and it's so creative, and it, doesn't show mastery of anything <laughs> that <we are> <laughs> and I have to give them a failing grade like there's nothing in the rubric that I can wiggle on here you know they're going to get a failing grade and they put so much work on it but they didn't do the the thing that they were set to do and I know in jobs they're gonna have to understand what's expected of them so they can deliver on that so what do I do so it definitely has a connection to things that you're going to do as standards related later, but it can't just be something you teach at the beginning of the week. So where is the role of all of this learning to rise and teaching this like kind of explicitly in education? And I'm I'm talking classroom here. Obviously, if you're training or in college, you may have more wiggle room than we do in the classroom with the state standards.
1: Well, something that I was thinking of an application to the classroom is that whole idea of the stormy first drafts and the the stories that we tell ourselves, oh, yeah. and because she goes into specifically how important it can be to actually write those things down, the things that you're telling yourself, so that you can then work through and process and find out, okay, how much of this is reality and how much of it am I just completely making up in my head? And it just reminded me of a a really great journal activity for students so that fits in with standards like we want students to spend time writing so maybe what we're doing is just change, shifting the focus of what it is that they're writing about so they're getting that practice of writing in but then they're
0: this could also work with ela because we have speaking and listening standards but what about science math social studies
1: well both science ETE. and yeah, both science and history are directly related to making mistakes and learning from them. Like that's all that they are, right? The scientific method and then also just the yeah. the whole yeah. process of of history and civilization is people as either individuals or as groups making mistakes and and learning from them and moving forward, pushing forward in society. You know,
0: a lot of social studies, I think you're going to be talking about culture and you're going to have a lot of what's the like controversial things that you might be discussing and you can't do that without knowing how to rise and rumble and things. Because what if somebody says something that is not okay and you have to talk to them about that? They need to know that you're talking to them about that thing and it's not about their assessment of who they are as a person. Yeah. There's a lot for social studies. I think that can be in there, particularly Mm -hmm. as you go, as you go on up and we're, we're getting close to, I think it's Columbus day coming up in September and that's a very controversial holiday and I won't say my opinion on it, but anyway, Um, (laughs) so even like what you're, you're required to teach by your standards, you know, if that's in your standards and you're required to teach Columbus Day and you, your students have controversy about it, you have controversy about it, that, that understanding how we can talk about things in a way that is going to allow everyone to walk away rumbling and, and not having to struggle for their worth or feeling unworthy in a class or feeling like people are ganging up on them because they don't agree on them. I think is going to be really important. And I love what you said about the scientific method. So what else?
1: Okay. Well, I have something else, but it's a different topic. Are we ready to shift a little bit? Yeah. Okay. Here's the quote for you. And the apps, <laughs> you ready? <laughs> In the absence of data, we will always make up stories. So this one really stood out to me as an educator because of that buzzword, data, right? Data, we, we deal with it all <laughs> the time. And so it just immediately made me start thinking about what stories are we making up about our students when mm-hmm. we don't, there are details that we don't have, or there are data points that we don't have access to. Mm-hmm. So our minds immediately fill in those gaps um, with stories to help mm-hmm. us make sense. And yeah. just remembering that we need to be aware that the stories we're telling ourselves about our students might be completely inaccurate. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: And all the way around, all the way up to your super Intendant to your families, to your co workers, to your principal, if you're training to the, your other stakeholders, all, all 360 degrees. And also, kind of going back to the social studies example about people that don't a- agree with your perception on you know, culture or controversy, the stories that you're making up about them. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we just have to really be open to what do I know for sure? Not because I assume I know it for sure, but because it's there in front of me. The data is. And even that you can't go any further than that. Like you have that one piece of data, but you can't assume that that also means that, that person feels the certain way about that thing or anywhere in between, put mm-hmm. on the, and that goes to po- assuming positive intent, but I think it also goes to freeing the stress. Like you're thinking again, like, Oh, well fine. So what am I supposed to do? I still have to make a decision, but it kind of frees it up. Well, if this is all I know, then I can decide this or this and respond this way or this way. And I, I feel like you have to stick to the issue at hand and how that data affects the issue. So if it's, you know, student X comes in, they're tired, they're like super sleepy, they're falling asleep in your class, and they're not turning in homework and, you know, all this stuff, and you're like, well, they need to get more sleep. You don't really have control over that. You have control over your communication with their parent. You have control over what they're turning in, not control, but those are the things that are your business, so to speak. Yeah. And so it might be just to communicate with that parent and say, here's the data points that I'm seeing. He came into class this way, he fell asleep in the class here, and the work that I'm getting is this way. What does support for me look like? It's not on your shoulders to solve and to connect what all those data points mean. It's only yours to support that that family and that child I don't know Mm -hmm. do you think I'm off base there am I getting too much in the weeds
1: no I don't think so because it it plays right into the absence of data is where you make up stories and that's what we don't need to do so rely on the data that you have which I think also goes into anything with benchmarks, diagnostic testing, the standardized testing, you have some information about a student, but be really careful about making up stories that fill in what you don't know about the student just based on, I mean, really, Mm -hmm. their performance on one test on one day gives you a very small sliver of information about who that student is as a person and what they are capable of. So even when you do have data, just make sure that it stays in its place, that you don't expand that data to make your story, to fill out the details of the story that might not be true.
0: What are your thoughts on sharing teacher observations or even um, if you're a trainer, like group information from instructor to instructor educator to educators do you think that it should be a clean slate every time or that it is beneficial to know hey this group really struggled with and i'm talking more of these um behavioral pieces than the mm-hmm. academic pieces obviously well maybe not but let's start with behavior we can go into academics if we need to but you know this this group had a really difficult time staying on task or this student, and I'm, I'm trying to think of something that would be like appropriate to share, but I think a lot of times those are shared in best interest and some people feel like you should share them and some people feel like you don't. What do you, where do you stand on that?
1: The phrase that pops into my head is what we've read in this book and talked about before, I think, but that has not been my experience. So mm. mm-hmm. even if you're saying to someone, oh, this is what this group of students are like or this individual or this entire class. This is what they're like. Really, you can't make a generalization like that. All you can say is this was my experience and leave room for that other teacher to say, oh, well, that is has not been my experience with them because it's a different year. It's a different classroom culture, it's a different teacher, they've grown, they've matured, like there's so many different factors that could have changed. Um, So I don't think I have a hard and fast opinion of you absolutely should or you absolutely shouldn't, but I think that if you, whatever information you do share, just be careful that you're saying this was my experience based on the time and the Um, circumstances that I interacted with this class and, you know, just leave room for the new teacher to have their own experiences.
0: I think I'm with you. I tend to err on the side of just let them have a fresh start and a fresh year with you on that one. Yeah. Because I think it goes to another quote that you have about anxiety. Do you want to read
1: that one? Oh, oh, I can't believe I skipped over that. I hadn't (laughs) scrolled down, so I didn't see it. This was one of my favorites. Okay. Um, Anxiety is one of the most contagious emotions. And calm is equally contagious. So my experience with this goes back to Um, when I was teaching in the preschool and kindergarten classroom. And one of the best pieces of advice that I got was to model what you want the students to do. And that sounds really simple, but it was just Mm -hmm. something as easy as, if you want to lower the volume in your classroom, then start whispering. Don't start yelling, you know. Um, So just thinking about how the teacher sets the tone for the classroom, and that is contagious. That's gonna bleed over to the students. So if you are anxious, if you're agitated, if you're angry, if whatever you are feeling or whatever you are expressing, those are the types of things that are gonna carry over to your students, especially anxiety and especially calm. So if you are teaching, find a way to, get that calmness across instead of that anxiety because it is going to feed and feed and feed and just go in a wave across your classroom.
0: Okay, so let's dig into that because she has these six ways that people tend to deal with pain. And you have a quote about the reckoning. You have it under letter D in the notes. I know you guys can't see our notes. It's okay.
1: Yeah, so we talked about this how, where she said the reckoning is as simple as that, knowing that we're emotionally hooked and then getting curious about it.
0: So if you know you're emotionally hooked because the class is not listening, they're not following directions, they're you've got like 10 different kids doing things that you need to call out and getting each other riled up. And we've all had those moments where we feel like everything is out of control maybe maybe you have it i'm just going to be vulnerable and say that that i have that's a failure that i've had you want to just like yell at everybody to be quiet because nobody is listening and so you start you start whispering because that's how you know that you're supposed to do something that has worked for me is just to go and like try and go like one desk to each other and try yeah. to basically like spread the calm like a ripple but yeah. that, it so what happens when everything doesn't work so this idea of a reckoning I have felt in the past that feeling that overwhelm is a or that anxiety is a failure of mine and then I get anxious about the failure right like she said at some point like great now I'm feeling shame about feeling shame mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. reckoning as simple as that and you kind of like, The last thing you said, you were like, oh, well, it's just so simple, but I think the simplest things are in some ways the best things because in these moments, you can't sort through complex thoughts. Mm -hmm. You're like, I need to apply some kind of strategy. (laughs) Apply is kind of lower level. So you need something even easier than that. So knowing that you're emotionally hooked, I'm emotionally hooked into what's going on in my class. Why? Am I feeling this way? And then I would probably go to something like I said about the printer in a couple earlier episodes. Well, because nobody is listening to me and they're not following my directions. (laughs) So, how do you get yourself unhooked enough to where your calmness is something they can actually feel instead of you just
1: totally faking it? Well, one of the practical examples that Brene gives us is the idea of tactical breathing, or she also refers to it as box breathing, I think. But it's just taking the time to oh, it's counts of four. It's like breathe in. She tells, she says it in the book. Yeah.
0: I think, yeah, that's something that you can look up if you're, if you're interested. Yeah. In I had a teacher that would always say, I'm, I'm counting to 10. And it was like, she was looping us into her stress. And I just thought that she was like, that was stressing me out.
1: So, uh, you
0: know what I'm saying? Like how she's like, I'm up to hair. And I was like,
1: uh, very i remember that's
0: all i remember about her is that she yelled a lot and she was always telling us what her stress was i remember where her room in the classroom i kind of remember what she looked like and i remember for some reason her child was in the class and wondering like if she yelled at her child as often as she yelled at us mm-hmm. and it's clear to me now as an adult that she must have really had a hard time with anxiety and now i have so much more empathy for her than i did as a as a child. So if you're experiencing that, like what do you do? Like can you just
1: sit there and <sighs> in the back of maybe the class while can. it's going crazy? So you maybe can. you can. I mean I I know that I've done that with my own kids at home where things are going crazy and I'm like if I respond immediately, then it's not going to be a good response. Like it's going to be an outburst. And so uh, even though there's a whole lot of chaos going on, then if I just take a minute or two to myself before addressing them, then it's going to go a little bit better. So maybe we can do that in the classroom as well, even when things are. Yeah, I think you're right.
0: And the the wall we think that sometimes students want like a very pippy long style kind of life where they can just make their own rules and do their own things but what they really want is structure they want to know that they're safe and keeping that that classroom culturally safe or not cult, well yeah culturally safe but academically safe is what I was trying to say but also that if they do break the rules that you will have and I say control here in a very different way than was kind of what I was student teaching, but that you will be the one that keeps them safe, that you can get that classroom back to working. And it might be where you look to your your leaders, both your your vocal ones and your quiet leaders, and you kind of go to them first and say, hey, you know, what's going on where the direction's not clear? What do you guys need help from me? And then instead of feeling like we're gonna get so in trouble, they can kind of loop themselves back on track that you're actually going to expect this kind of behavior is that helping them learn to rise? Like they they're getting off track with the behavior, and then you're kind of like swooping in there and asking them what they need, or how do we not mow the path for them? Like she said, as the parents were lawnmower parents, because mm-hmm. we go in there and we're like, all right, everybody stop! You're going to do this, you're going to do this, and we pull them off the track and don't let them do that activity as you had explained it think in a way we are lawnmowering their path. It, it learning to rise is maybe teaching them how they get themselves back on track when they didn't I don't want to say follow the directions, but when they're they're not being productive, your class rules about being productive. So like, hey guys, uh, tell me what you guys are working on and start off curious. And then if like, oh, we're really not, you know, working on anything. We were just we weren't really sure what to do. Like, okay, well, we're going to be productive. That's our class rules. So what do you guys need to do and what do you need from me? And then it's more along that lines or what? So how can you, I don't even know what I'm saying, but what are your thoughts about learning to rise and then like classroom management?
1: What was going on in my head was in asking questions and being curious, You're going to want to put the responsibility back on the students. So just asking them questions that are not just giving yourself information about what's going on, but helping them to process and recognize what they're feeling in the moment. Because that's what the first step is. That's what reckoning is, is realizing what your emotions are and figuring out why. So maybe instead of jumping immediately to what do you need from me, which I think is still a fair question because you're still putting it on the students to identify what their needs are and articulate what they need from you. Mm -hmm. But just putting it on them, like what's going on inside of you right now and how are you going to figure out your next step? Um,
0: Yeah. So having like, you know, your little clipboard that you have in the classroom. So I was showing you my little rocket book and my little journal, but you have your little clipboard that you're taking notes. They don't know. Maybe you're writing down their names. (laughs) Who knows? Mm -hmm. And you're writing down like my story first draft, but then you have to make sure nobody sees that if it's going to be really open and vulnerable, unless you've got like some kind of code, but it's like my emotions, I'm feeling frustrated, I'm feeling overwhelmed, I feel like the class is out of control, my body, I can feel that my neck is tensing, I'm thinking that my students don't appreciate me, I'm thinking that um, Mm -hmm. I'm getting in trouble, I'm not a good teacher, I'm not good enough, and then my beliefs, well, I guess those would be your beliefs, you're you're believing right now that you don't have the capability to get the class to be productive, and then your actions are just to kind of maybe, like, just sit there and, like, want to (laughs) cry,
1: yeah but that's
0: the first draft so the second Mm -hmm. draft is is kind of maybe looking over that and looking at the data and saying like well what's really not true it's not really my ownership to make them do anything it's my ownership to to facilitate to put that back on them but to show up curious first because maybe i'm hearing them laugh and be silly about something that is actually relevant to what we're doing or maybe they are filling each other each other's marble jars Mm. and it's brief so it's like hey like how are you guys doing what's your group working on and then you get more data points go back in time and be in the classroom again
1: (laughs) i know this yeah we have had our conversation today has been filled with classroom examples and I've just been transported. Like I keep imagining myself back in my physical classroom, my very first year of teaching when I was teaching Mm -hmm. third grade and watching myself with those students and thinking about all the things I wish I could go back and do differently. (laughs) Knowing what I know now.
0: (laughs) I think that is how we, we help in, in, Lead and train and work with other teachers, though, is that we do own our story and we can say, I did this too, or the story I'm making up has been very useful to me personally. I've not used it much professionally, and I, I want to dig into these 15 story rumbles.
1: <laughs> so
0: I don't think you could just open up these 15 questions day one. So I was curious about what your thoughts were on the rumble starters. Oh man. Like you can't go say, you know, I feel pissed that we had to do this assignment cause I just don't want to. And I'm tired. Like you can't say that to your teacher. And I think a no. lot of times when people have used rumble starters and I don't have all the data in front of me, but I believe that there is some pretty, interesting data points on um, students of color, particularly female students of colors who, who of color who do use rumble starters, but the word choice that they're using is very assertive in a way that a lot of teachers are not used to. And that ends up getting them some kind of punitive consequence.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then here we are with Brene saying we should do this. So they if you're going to do this, I think you've got to be really open to maintaining composure as the adult, so I I don't know if you need to have models for the students or how you would make that work in a classroom so that, you know, the other thing is people are videotaping everything nowadays, (laughs) people will come down, all that kind of stuff where if you're doing this in the classroom and somebody says something that's like highly inappropriate, and then your plan is to talk to that student after class and work with that and create a safe space where they can, you can teach them how to rise, how to say what that is in a way that it's going to be received by the larger audience. But then somebody videotapes that and then it ends up on Facebook. It's a whole thing. And I'm not an administrator, so I don't have the answers there. I don't know that administrators have the answer, but I'm, I'm curious about where the place is in the classroom between being really honest with your feelings and just letting that kind of tumble out of your mouth and also like filtering it enough to be appropriate for the classroom.
1: A couple of things. Mm -hmm. So we can't hold students to expectations that they are unaware of or that they don't know how to do. So yeah, so modeling, I think you said having models for these conversations yeah it's something that you've got to practice and you've got to start small maybe I, I mean remember back to the first days of school when you're teaching your students the routines and the procedures and so you you just make a game out of it and you do something silly or you're like okay everybody like sing your favorite song for 30 seconds and then you know when you see the signal to be quiet that's when you be quiet you know just right. all those those game based kind of practices to help them get used to the routines. Maybe that's where you can start with these um, story rumbles and say okay mm-hmm. we're we're going to do a case study or like a, a an imaginary scenario. What would happen if um?" xyz and you could make it as bizarre and silly and off the wall as you want to to get students hooked and engaged and interested and enjoying the process and then you can lead into okay but what would we do what would this look like bring in a little bit more realistic situation Mm -hmm. but it goes back to what she says at the beginning about not you can't expect people to be brave without what's that quote where she says showing them how to land, giving them a safe place to land. I think, yeah, we can't expect people to be brave and risk failure if they're not prepped for hard landings. Um, So that preparation is really important. I think so going through examples of the rumblings and story starters and all of that, before you are in the moment is is going to make things easier. The other thing I thought of was in relation to how she words these questions and how she phrases them, um, how we turn our state standards into student-friendly ICANN statements. Oh, yeah. So, so maybe what we need to do is just take the main oh. ideas of what these – story rumbles are and then adapt them so that they are age appropriate and classroom appropriate um, so that we're getting out of it what we want to from our students because it is going to look a lot different in a Mm -hmm. third grade classroom than in a corporate setting. Absolutely. I love that. So I love how we've been really digging
0: into the classroom in this episode. In the past, I think we kind of will will go in a little bit and then we'll mainly stick to the relationship with teachers and all of the other stakeholders that they deal with or educators and all the other people around them. So let's go up to that for a little bit. Let's say you're an administrator and you want to work with your your staff on helping them to rise strong, particularly around really everything, but dealing with difficult feedback from you or feedback and work from parents. Um, You might have some people that you're going to work on this more intensively with, and then you may want to kind of implement it as something that in this school, we we help each other rise. We support rising. So if you were going to do something like that, are there any of these 15 process pieces that you would focus on or kind of what are your thoughts around that?
1: What I really liked was the idea of setting aside time for people to check in on their stormy first drafts. So for them to come to leaders of school leaders Mm -hmm. and say, Hey, here's the story I'm telling myself. I just need to check in with you on Mm -hmm it's accuracy and reality Mm. and making sure that you are giving teachers space for that. Mm
0: -hmm. And,
1: you know, kind of like that open door policy and letting them know, you know, if they say up front, Hey, I've got a stormy first draft, it's going to come across really messy, Yeah, but I just need some perspective. Um, As long as, as long as the teacher is prefacing it with that. um, And, you know, you still want to try to be as respectful as you can in that conversation, but if you acknowledge to your school leader up front, this is going to be messy, but I need you to know what's going on inside Mm -hmm. my head so that you can help me navigate it. Um, I think that's really important is leaving space for teachers to process their stormy first drafts and, Mm -hmm. um, and help them walk through oh oh no that's actually not where we are at all or, <laughs> there is a little bit of truth to that but let me tell you why
0: yeah what do you think about the idea like let's say you are working with your staff on your online learning methods like what you're going to do like this is what we're going to do this is our new way we're going to do this would you if they were in the building do the post it note thing and then also if they were not in the building would you do like an anonymous google form and just ask them everybody for the stormy first draft and then just collect those together to look for patterns
1: yeah i think that's a good idea because there are even if you offer an open door policy yeah it doesn't mean people are going to walk in to that door. I mean, we've seen that how many times have we held open office hours and nobody comes. <laughs> well, I think the trust has to be there. I, and
0: I'm saying this and then I feel like it's it's not what she said, but the trust has to be that they have to believe that if they yeah. come into that door and it's an open office door that it's not just that the door is open, it's that your mind is open. And if they haven't seen that, or, you know, I think you've got to fill some, some marbles first. If you're not getting anybody all year in your open office door, then I think you need to be curious and really start listening to the data points that you have. And I'm not just talking about numbers. I'm, I'm sitting back and just kind of really thinking about, you know, are you present in classrooms? Are you seeing what people are doing? Do they feel like you know them? Because it would be hard for me to come to somebody's office door and do a stormy first draft if I really had almost no interaction with them.
1: Oh, absolutely. And that's where I think what you said about uh, more of an anonymous way of collecting stormy Mm -hmm. first drafts is probably a good way to start adding Mm -hmm. marbles to your jar and and building that trust. Because Mm -hmm. if they're seeing you say, hey, look at, all of the stories that we're telling ourselves collectively as a group, let's work through them together. Mm -hmm. Then hopefully they would feel more comfortable coming one-on-one.
0: Let's go another direction. Let's say that it's you and you're a teacher. I feel like I'm like interviewing you or something, but you have such good answers because you (laughs) work so many different roles that your perspective ability to switch perspectives is something that is just such a wealth of knowledge. So Your administration has not read this book, does not practice the majority of of these items. Very typical school setting. We're not going to go extreme in any of these, but but you have, and you want to have conversations with your administration about some of the things that you are concerned about. You want to go with them with your stormy first draft, but they don't know what that is.
1: Mm -hmm. What would you do? I think it's a pretty okay. I think that you can explain the idea of a stormy first draft pretty easily without using those words.
0: Just this this is the story you, I'm telling myself. I don't yes. think it's accurate but I need you to fill in yeah, what I'm I missing. Think-
1: if you said that to anyone, even if they're not familiar with Dare to Lead or Brene Brown at all, they would understand what you mean by that. So if you may be not going in and saying, here's my stormy first draft, then they would probably look at you like, what? I don't get it. Um, but yeah, I think just prefacing it with, here's the story I'm telling myself. Is it accurate?
0: Okay, so there's two things. Number one, that takes some courage. And that's what this whole book is about. So, so recognize that you're going to lean into your courage. Remember you're going into the arena and you're not empty handed. You have your values and those will help you listen. You are brave enough to listen.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. So when you ask them that question, ask them more questions back on their response and, and let them know that you really want to understand Mm-hmm. might even have a notebook like we were saying earlier with the students doing a journal maybe you have a notebook with just some of those phrases jotted jot down so that you can lean into those maybe your values are like you know big bold print in there but I imagine that there's a lot you don't know about your administration And their struggles and their stresses and Mm -hmm. the human things that they may be dealing with and if they're not familiar with this if nobody has ever done it their first reaction might be defensive Mm -hmm. why would you make that story up Mm. and here's here's the thing number one if they've never done it kind of like maybe go with it and be like you know i'm I'm making this story up because I don't know, and that's I, I want to understand what what this is, and if you can just keep leaning into that, that might help them through help them out of that defensiveness, but we've said it in another episode. you can't judge the impact, good or bad of a conversation just by the moments when you're in the conversation. It might be that that conversation with your administration administrator changed forever the way. That they understand the story that i'm making up like maybe the next time that somebody did that they were able to better receive it or maybe after they left that conversation they were like going through their own stormy first draft without realizing like i can't believe i was so defensive with that teacher because i can tell you as anybody that served uh worked with teachers that is absolutely what we do and it's what we do with as a teacher working with our students and parents and all the way around we're like Oh man, I wish I had remained more calm in that situation. Oh, I wish I hadn't said that. So you have to feel like their humanness too. That maybe after that conversation, they're regretting maybe what they said, and it might be that they even later on with somebody else like tried it out to see what Mm -hmm. happened. To pull the story I'm making up about the ham sandwiches when they're at home. (laughs) So it goes 360. So much of this. And then you have opportunities to build the marble jar back up with them the same way you do with everybody else. So you stand in your values. You're standing on solid ground. You can have these conversations. And even if they don't go well, that is not the end of the story. That's my.
1: Yeah. And what you have to accept is that you might not ever be looped into the end of the story. Definitely. Assume that you aren't. How could you be? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't know where where it's going to lead. Yeah.
0: <sighs> okay, let's talk about some good stuff. What was on your joy and meaning list? Like what brings me joy? So she talks about, there was so much in this chapter, I don't even know how I'm remembering any of it. So she was talking about the gifts of imperfection. She wrote about the importance of a joy and meaning list and the power mm-hmm. of actually thinking through these questions. When things are going really well in our family, or you could say school or classroom, what does it look like? What brings us the most joy? When are we in our zone? So I like that the first thing on her list for a family was sleep.
1: (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yes yes it is sleep sleep is number one if you have ever had the experience of having children who didn't sleep well in their Mm -hmm. early years then i think that would be uh even more important to you and that was definitely my experience i spent probably oh five to seven years of my life not sleeping well so (laughs) it's really important (laughs) Okay, I'm gonna pause
0: you right there. Okay, I feel like you have some more. So, what does that mean when you have to choose between, like, doing one more thing for your classroom or getting a good night's a good night rest?
1: And you just go to
0: sleep. You just go to sleep. Because you're going to be able to better handle those emotional that those those emotional pieces in your classroom if you're well rested. If you're constantly running on empty you are going to make some big empathetic fails. Yeah. I have,
1: I've, I've chosen sleep over work tasks and teaching tasks and grading tasks many, many times over the years. And I don't Regret those (laughs) decisions.
0: I think this is where it speaks to the revolution too because I feel like it's one of these things where we keep piling things on for teachers and teachers just get it done, but then we also have some real shortages sometimes in the way that we respond to students and those empathetic fails. There's a million stories of, you know, my teacher did this or my teacher said this, and I think it's because when those things happen, sometimes there's just big misses, but sometimes it's because we're always running on empty, Mm -hmm. and when we stop doing all those busy tasks, and we focus on our joy, and our meaning in our classroom, I wonder if, as a group, that would be an educational revolution, and going back to the whole child, and going back to educating humans first, and content second, if that is something that would start happening because it's not getting done, we can't it, it's not working. we can't just keep asking people to do more and more and more, and I say that with a whole mixed bag because I really believe in strong instruction and I believe in being clear with the expectations that we're asking students to do, and I believe in having good objectives and all of those things. I just also think that it's about prioritizing. Mm-hmm. So what else was on your list? I just I saw that sleep thing and I was like, oh yeah. We we got that for a second.
1: Yeah. Um I when I read this, my instead of taking the time to go through what's on my personal list, I was like, oh my goodness, this is like such a great classroom activity and my that's where my mind immediately went like thinking through all right, this is our beginning of the year building culture activity (laughs) like we are going to come up with our joy and meaning list as a class so that we can recenter ourselves on on joy so now let me stop for a moment and and think about what is what is on my list uh sleep is definitely um what's the opposite of chaos organization (laughs) i was gonna say like calm or peace calm Yeah. So like, yes, even recently, I just have been in such a busy season of life the past couple of weeks that everything that had to do with my home environment has kind of gone haywire and everything was just basically a disaster. And so once I, and I was really feeling that it was affecting me in every way, shape, and form. And once I said, "You know what? I'm just going to take the time, and I'm going to go through and get everything cleaned out and organized the way that I want it." That is, I recognized how important that is to me mm-hmm. to have um, order. Order, yes. That I think that's the word I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Have order in my physical surroundings. I think that's definitely mm-hmm. one of the things that would be on my list.
0: Mm so your list would be sleep and order.
1: Sleep, order. Um, I like what she says about um, white space, like just having time to hang mm-hmm. out without an agenda, um, because I really enjoy accomplishing things and having things on my to-do list that I'm getting done, but I also recognize the need for space where you don't have to be getting anything done. mm mm-hmm. um,
0: I see in you the connection, the connection with the students, but also in the classroom. I see you really needing that. You talk about it all the time, the the Mm -hmm. social, emotional learning, the whole child, the understanding of their development and what's appropriate. So it feels like, I don't know the words in there, but that would be on your list, just from what I've seen you talk about before in the past.
1: Oh, absolutely. I agree with you on that.
0: Because your original list was like sleep in order. I was like, this <laughs> like, not like that. No. <laughs> that was just the
1: very beginning of my list.
0: <laughs> I just put there, you on the spot. You didn't know I yeah, was going to ask any of this.
1: Yeah, no, there's a lot more. I will admit that there, there's a lot more, and probably what's going to happen throughout the day today is that I'm going to keep coming back and texting you and be like, Oh, and this is on my list. And this is on my list and this one too. So I don't think it ends there by any means.
0: No, we have
1: well, we have an
0: outline, and then I throw like seventeen questions at Tabitha in the yeah. moment, and then we yeah. don't do any of the outline pieces. <laughs> you're the queen. You're the queen
1: of throwing in spur of the moment questions. I am curious, so I
0: think that would be on my list. I have found that being curious is not about curiosity killed the cat, which is a really strange whole proverb, but <laughs> yeah, it it allows for I value emotional consistency, but I have found that that can be something that's difficult for me. And when we were going through those six um, ways that people respond with the chandeliering and all of that, I actually Mm -hmm. sat down before our meeting and asked my husband, like, which one of these are me? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because he knows me, I think sometimes better than I know myself. So being curious to me is, huge in the classroom I think it allows you as the teacher to be curious as to why aren't students getting something or understanding all the way to why are they behaving in a certain way all the way to why is this parent responding in the in the way to like I wonder if there's a better way to do something like this Mm -hmm. to even academically to being like asking those divergent thinking questions like what else don't we know about this topic or what else could we what's another way to solve this how could we know I just think curiosity is at the heart of the academic piece the social piece the emotional piece and the relationship piece for me so curiosity would really be up there sleep is just something I have good boundaries around sleep which is great. I go to bed when I'm tired. I just know that about myself. I'm not doing anybody any good if I try to stay up super late. Sometimes I'll get up early, but that in having good boundaries around when we're working and when we're not. So, I don't I I won't like to communicate with my children's teachers after hours, and I don't communicate with parents after hours. And when I was in the classroom, I often didn't answer emails after hours. And then when I did respond, I would be fully, fully present, kind of teaching them a little bit of the rising that they, that it would all be okay, that I could always respond well, that if things were even they, if they were just so, so angry about something that I could call them, and work through it and really listen to them and be courageous enough to listen. And I, honestly, all that came from retail. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like with 10 years of people, you know, I was the, I yeah. the returns desk. So we've kind of, I think we talked about this before. We've trained people that you're not going to get what you want unless you're, you know, really angry. And yeah. a lot of times it doesn't have to be that way, but some, sometimes it is. So Teach so presence, being very present, and having boundaries around work time. And you know, working with other teachers, particularly in middle school like, what do you have going on? What do you have going on? And trying to be very conscious about how much work we're putting on families and students after hours. That I'm not having a big project is the same time the science teacher is having one do. And that was something that our administration communicated was important to us. So for me, the joy and meaning I think is being curious, is um, being present and having good boundaries around rest. It's connection on more individual than the group. I think if you want the group dynamic, the group culture to thrive, you've got to work on the individual level and go up so having an all call email where we say you know if you're uh if you're you know everybody do this is or if you have like a headline that's like negative i think that is something to to consider revising and to just take a couple of minutes to email the students that aren't having that issue and say hey congratulations because you're not missing anything or you know whatever and then emailing the other students or sometimes taking the time out to maybe personalizing a couple of those emails or a couple of those contact pieces and I know that takes a lot but I think it's worth the return on investment to use a business term to focus on individual individuals as we have time to so those I don't know if I'm answering the question right but I feel like I get the most joy and meaning from those things and the white space, I think you're a thousand percent right. And we've built that into this podcast. I was in a group and somebody was saying <laughs> they interviewed a guest and something happened with the audio and it wasn't good. And they're like, what do I do? And I was like, don't do that. <laughs> like we structured our podcast to give us a week off in the summer because we were like, life, man, like who knows yeah. what could happen in the summer? And it was great because you moved and we were able to use it. And then we're also structured to where we're about two and a half weeks ahead. And that allows the white space so that if we're not feeling it, we're good. Or even if there's a week where we're like, you know what, let's record one Wednesday night because Saturday we're, we want to go up to the mountains or whatever, that you've got to build in the white space. And I build that into my calendar. It says lunch and new business. And I block off an hour. I rarely take an hour for lunch, but I will block that off for whatever email that I'm going to have to deal with that day. That's going to take that extra half hour. And I don't stress because it's there. And then if I don't need that whole half hour, then I have a half hour to rest. That white space is incredible. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, always over, over budget your time. I remember you talking about this when you were giving tips about organization and like, (laughs) go ahead and schedule 30 minutes on your calendar to complete this task. Even if you know, it's probably only gonna take you like 10, 15, 20 minutes because you never know when it is going to go over. And if it doesn't go over, then guess what? You get to take a breather, get up and walk around. Mm -hmm. Feel that white space.
0: Yeah. And it's your white space. Use it like yeah. it's at rest. Rest is important. You can't be on all the time and expect that you're going to make emotionally sound, cognitively sound decisions because you're always caring too much. Like you were saying.
1: Mm-hmm. I do like that she ended this whole entire book about daring to lead with going back to finding your own personal joy. Mm. because isn't that what life is if you can't find joy in your life what's the point of doing all of these other practices
0: mm-hmm. i love that when she was saying they were so busy being successful that they had no time for joy mm-hmm. go back to that teacher heart like why did you why did you start this career in the first place like what makes mm-hmm. you oh man is the thing that just fills our teacher heart just with joy and explodes with joy is watching students achieve something they didn't know they could do, whether it's behaviorally, academically, socially, emotionally, whatever it is, but it's like this thing and you have supported them and supported them and supported them. And then bam, it happens. And you're just like, oh my gosh, they did it. Mm -hmm. And I was there to support them. That's amazing. And that's how I feel about working with teachers too. So looping back to prior learning you wanted to build trust by adding marbles to your own jar. So how did that work out for you?
1: I think it worked out pretty well because I was re-listening to one of our older episodes where I had talked about mindfulness and wanting to just pay attention to what's going on in my emotions and my feelings and, you know, physically everything. Mm -hmm. And then because I, was doing that, then I was able to identify what my needs were and provide for myself what I needed. And I think in doing that, I was able to build trust in myself and, and know that, Hey, I can, I can trust myself to give me, to give me what I need instead of always giving other people what they need.
0: So that's a lesson. Have you experienced that? Have you done that? Yeah. That's awesome.
1: It's a lesson from experience. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Well, that's interesting because mine was, was also that, but then it was also using more high level retelling or talking about things. I, I, I am so in the weeds. I want to know all the, the details, not because I'm nosy, but because that's how my brain makes larger connections. It takes a lot of small things and puts them together and finds the theme. But if you give me the theme first, Then I'm like, well, do you mean this or this or like, I I don't know why my brain works that way, but it does keep working on that I can go ahead and sort through the details first and then do that mental lift and then deliver a high level task and I think that's also going to help me in just just professionally, as well as. I mean, on this podcast, I've talked like five minutes when I could have just said like the one big thing and also with my kids, like their eyes are glazing over and I was trying to teach them like get to the point.
1: So going more high level. Our hope
0: for growth.
1: Do you have one? I have one in mind. Go for it. Giving myself space to get every single feeling and thought no matter how ridiculous or um, conspiracy theory ish it sounds um, just to give myself myself space to do that even if it never goes anywhere outside mm-hmm. of my head just letting myself think and feel those things so that then I can move on from them because if you just kind of shove them in the back of your mind and mm-hmm then you don't really process them, then you're never really going to move on from them. So what I hope to do is to spend more time and probably even like the physical act of writing them down. I mm-hmm. used to journal all the time and oh. that's something that's kind of fallen off of my, um, fallen off of my shelf. <laughs> my, my, my things that I do on a regular basis, but I think it's really healthy. And she Says in the book that out of, you know, with all the research that they did and the data they collected, 70% of the risers, the leaders who would be, you Mm -hmm. know, um, identified as the risers, they actually write down their stormy first drafts. And I was like, oh, that sounds important. That sounds like something that I would benefit from as well. So I think that is what I am taking away from this last section.
0: I really enjoy that. I think I'm going to give myself permission to create my own stormy first draft that is personalized for me and then I can adapt it as I go along. I would also really love to go back and listen to all of this part of our episodes and maybe jot those down. And just kind of check in. Like, did I do any of those? What was the impact when I did that? Because right? I think, yeah. yeah, like checking in for impact, I think can encourage you to start better habits because it doesn't feel arbitrary. It feels meaningful. I'm curious if you have your little journal, if you have like a little marble jar thing down at the bottom where you can be like, fill your own marble jar Aww. today and like add a little thing in there. <laughs> I like that you want to help other people find us without having to type in the words, educators who dare to lead, then give us a rating and review or even use word of mouth. And we would really appreciate just, you know, like if you didn't like it, that's fine. But if you liked it, giving us (laughs) a rating. (laughs) If you didn't like us, you don't have to review. (laughs) Well, you can, absolutely. You can, or you can, you can contact us, but the cool, the the flip side of the coin for podcasts is that there are so, so many that we are just one in probably a literal million. So if we get like three reviews, then it's going to look real, real bad because we don't have a lot of listeners yet because we haven't, we haven't done ads. We haven't guest starred. Our boundary around this was that we love the book and we wanted to create something meaningful for ourselves and for you all. So by all means, it's your prerogative. You can rate us how you want, but if you like this and you want to help other people find us, we would love a rating and review and sharing this out.
1: Yeah. So, and you can also follow us individually. Did we say that yet? Nope. Okay. Um, on Instagram, I'm virtually Tabitha and LinkedIn. I'm Tabitha Securas, S E K U R A S.
0: Um, and I'm Elizabeth Walker Ike on Instagram and Elizabeth Ike on LinkedIn, Ike is spelled E K. And next time we're going to unpack our entire journey, including the responses, um, that you've given us. If you have been on the Facebook page and we'd love for you to join us. So until next time, keep daring, be brave, face tough conversations.
1: And live with your whole heart. I'm Elizabeth. I'm Tabitha. Bye. Bye.